Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast. Podcast where a, a gaslighting, manipulative, toxic comedian talks to a relationship therapist straight out of Gosford. Oh my god, I uh, was I didn't do it last of... podcast. <laughs> I thought you'd Bringing forgotten it about it. I was... <laughs> the cheesy in joke. <laughs> this is a podcast where we talk about modern issues related to sex, gender, dating, culture, science, with a male and a female perspective. This podcast is brought to you by Crush Organics. Crush Organics have a huge range of CBD oil products. They've got the diamond oil, they've got the night oil, they've got the platinum oil. They've got everything. I use it every single day. I absolutely love it. CrushOrganics.com with a K. Use the code NEIL for 40% off. They've also got products for pets. If you've got a pet, imagine that. You can calm your pet down if it's feeling anxious. The world would be a much better place, okay? If, if the Taliban just took a couple of drops of CBD oil every night, they would stop oppressing everyone, okay? They'd become hippies. <laughs> be back to where it, what Afghanistan was in the 60s, okay? And the way to start is to go to crushorganics.com and use my code. And get yourself some CBD oil. <laughs> Eliza, how, how are you? Good. I'm doing well. Same old, I mm-hmm. guess. How are you? I'm good. I feel like uh, summer has come early. It's really hot here in Sydney. and I, I've heard it's going to be a very wet summer, which I'm keen for. You're keen for summer. it? Why? It's just a lot of rain. Not when it's hot and rainy. Why? What's, but, but the, why the rain? Is it is it when when you have those days where it's hot during the day and then it rains at night? Is that? Yeah, yeah, that's the best. Yeah. Nah, I just love I love the rain, but not the cold. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, a wet so anyway, we're going really far into yeah. this weather La track. Nina. But yeah, it's coming. What? There's uh, El Nino and La Nina, which are. Uh, Weather patterns What's dictated that? by the uh, oh, en- uh, Enso, this uh, Southern Oscillation, something, something. Anyway, I read about this like a, a year ago. But based on sort of the, um, I don't know if it's the sort of air pressure or just the general sort of trends in the Pacific, uh, La Nina generally means a much wetter than average uh, summer on the east coast of Australia. But also usually means a drier and hotter uh, summer or winter on the west coast of America. It's got something. And then El Nino, it's the opposite. So uh, if you read Sunburnt Country by, uh, I think her name is Joelle Georges. It's all about sort of the climate of Australia and how it's going to change over the coming decades. Very interesting. Wow. I also learned it in like well, year 10 geography, La Nina and El Nino. But then I forgot about it. And then I remembered it again. That's great. Well, call me La Nina. Did you like a wet summer? L, L, what is it? La Nina. Hang on. (laughs) We got the first letter. (laughs) La Nina is an oceanic and atmospheric phenomenon that is the colder counterpart of El Nino as part of the broader El Nino Southern Oscillation. Yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to... Enso, El Nino Southern Oscillation Climate Pattern. The name La Nina originates from Spanish for the girl, by analogy to El Nino meaning the boy. Okay. Okay, well, look at this. You come to this podcast to hear about sex and relationships, leave knowing about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yep. We educated. Well, you so educated. High pressure and it's sort of wet. It's dry and warm in America. It's wet in sort of southern Canada. And it's wet in Australia. Hmm. Strange. Hmm. Interesting. There you go. And they're going to be more pronounced over the coming decades. So uh, usually they go for a couple of years. But yeah, anyway, this is not a climate <laughs> podcast. It is in the science section of Spotify, remember? I'm going to keep it there. Which is very odd to no, me. <laughs> no. what, what, what would you put it under? Like, it's not comedy. We've had this chat 7,000 times. There's like, uh, there's like a... Society and culture That's section. Right. Well, and there's a relationship section, and like I don't know. Probably should put there's it in relationships. Few, so. Actually, it's definitely uh, more applicable than science. Would make sense, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, and more people might discover it then. So you know what? I'll I'll change that if I remember. 
tell your friends that uh, you listen to a wonderful We're no longer in the science. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, today we're going to talk about, well, uh, sex in relation to the disabled community. So yes. yeah, we're going to touch on sex work for disabled people. And uh, Eliza, this is probably something you have a lot more knowledge of. So uh, introduce it. Take it yeah. away. Well, I think that we actually got um, suggested by a listener to do this topic, which is great because it's such a really important thing to talk about. And basically the view is often that people that have disability, like society expects them to be either asexual, meaning they don't have sexual desire, or hypersexual, meaning they can't you know, control their sexual urges. And really, we need to be making more steps towards understanding that disability and disabled people does not determine how, you know, whether or not they should have access to sex. And like any person, if they're consenting adults, should be able to access it. So there is something called um, the NDIS, and only recently, I think this year or last year, basically, if you have a disability in Australia, you can get on the NDI, you get an NDIS plan each year, which allocates funding for you to access um, or someone you care for to access every year. And they're now including sex work on that, which is a huge step forward because, you know, previously, although it's legal, it was coming entirely out of pocket. Um, so I'm really passionate about this subject. I know, um, I, I did a degree in sexology and one of the women I worked with, she was a 45 year old mum of five and she was a sex worker for disabled people. And she was such a beautiful, nurturing and caring woman who had, you know, in her home, she had all the hoists, all this training, all this equipment, um, so it was really interesting to hear her stories about how she connected with people, how she found clients and how thriving her, I guess, business is, but fulfilling it is um, as well for her clients. So I, I'm a huge advocate for it. I think it's really important. And I think that society needs to really shift its views on um, disability and sex. And I know that the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities Australia actually states that the government has an obligation for people with disabilities to have access to, you know, life's enjoyments and pleasures that any able-bodied person has, including sex. So it's good that it's becoming a right. <laughs> That's interesting you say that. I did a uh, – I agree with all of that, by the way. I, I, I you know, it, it's once a year if is it right. That's what's subsidised or – uh, I think it's more now, okay. but at least once a year. But okay. maybe that's subsidized, but then they're accessing it a lot more. I know sure. like most people go like every bi-monthly, basically. Okay. <laughs> a lot it. of people. Go get it, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think sex is very important. And for some people in that situation, I can't see how uh, it would harm uh society or anyone to to sort of have that provided by the or to have that sort of facilitated and paid for by the government to a certain degree um i put a quiz out on my instagram this was a couple of months ago now uh and i showed a, an article that it was saying in the netherlands they've been doing that for a few years and i sort of asked the question do you think sex should be seen as a human right and actually, to my surprise, 60-something percent, I think maybe even 70 percent, said yes. Now, I thought, the only reason I thought no is because, well, I didn't specify should it be a right for disabled people. I just said, should sex mm, be uh... seen as a human right? And yeah, in theory, I agree with the sentiment that sex is something that hopefully can mm. be enjoyed by everyone, but... Obviously, it takes at least two to tango, and you're then compelling mm -hmm. someone else to fulfill that right. And how do you do it? Mm -hmm. If if you say sex is a right for everyone, um, I know this is now taking it away from just disabled people here, but there, there's, there's plenty of people who are also not getting sex. And if it's seen as, you know, one of life's pleasures and something that everyone should enjoy, well, 
how, what are the implications then if we perceive sex as a as a right or whether it's a legal right it's something that you know we should try as a society to ensure that everyone can enjoy it well what that means is there's you know there, there may be there's another person that it, it could be being compelled to um provide that sex now i'm your friend and there's plenty of sex workers that are maybe even specifically disabled sex workers and that's their profession yeah. that's their job they they enjoy doing that um but what about i don't know what about then what about some people with diseases what about people with uh who have been in accidents and maybe have some sort of uh deformity where mm. do you first of all when how do you what are the classifications for disabled here in australia so how uh it's a bad question but well how disabled do you have to be i guess to access this you know does it is it just anyone well you yeah you can get you know ndis plans for significant trauma and um intellectual disabilities or mental health issues even can give you an NDIS plan and you can be considered to have a disability because of that. So there's physical disabilities and there's intellectual disabilities. Um, and whether you have a plan, you get a plan, you know, these, the, the sex workers that uh, work in this specific field don't question it. Um, in fact, you know, the, if you're less disabled in some ways, it's easier because then you're more likely to be very much more easy to gain consent and understanding. Sure. Whereas when you think about, um, like there is a service which is called Touching Base and there's actually a really amazing documentary about the service. They're based in Sydney and they started um, 21 years ago and it's sex workers specifically for um, disabled people. So it started off just as like a brothel and now they do like home visits legally. They do all the panel, like heaps of panels are on heaps of boards for um, disability rights. They educate other sex workers. So they do lots of like trainings on how to move a body, how to get consent, how to understand what's okay and what's not okay for nonverbal people. So all these things, um, it's, there's so many factors to it, but really recommend looking into them if you want to know more about how it all works and how you can access it and what it can look like and hear their stories as well and the success for it um because like i said before about people perceiving disability uh disabled people as either asexual like they shouldn't ever need to have sex with someone or either hypersexual because often we well not often but at times we can see people with disabilities um, you know, being inappropriately sexual, um, trying to have sex with, you know, minors because they don't understand or masturbating in public. And that's because they don't actually have the appropriate outlets for their sexual desires. And those are often the signs that people would look for when they can't give verbal consent. So that would be an indicator of whether or not they should arrange a sex worker to come in. That's... That's very interesting. I mean, again, I agree. I totally agree with that that premise. But just taking that that premise of that specific premise of say a, the intellectually disabled person who's overtly sexual with minors because they haven't had an outlet. Well, mm. would that then apply to say someone who might not be intellectually disabled but has gone through some sort of significant bullying or trauma? who is then sexual with a minor, do you then sort of empathize Well, yeah, they can access say, sex workers of their own, yeah. but just not through the NDIS. Sure, okay. <laughs> and they wouldn't be disability sex workers. They mm. would just be a standard run-of-the-mill sex worker <laughs> that anyone can access, really. Mm. But the, the Touching Base um, organization is also, you know, working on expanding out to elderly people. So whether or not that can count towards um, that field of um you know disability um so that's interesting very interesting yeah and it surprises me how many people are uncomfortable with the concept of it um and a lot of people when i talk about it are just shocked and say that's really wrong or that's you know disgusting and you know this how do you know that this person is enjoying all these things um 
But I think what's, you know, worth noting is that these sex workers that have sex through, you know, this organization or through the NDIS plan, they don't just go over and hop on, you know, someone's dick or <laughs> it's not really how it works. It's it's planned. Often the carer may even be with them for the first part where really the sex worker will be touching their shoulder for the first session, seeing if they're comfortable engaging by, you know, smiles or encouragement or see, having their carer say, this is the sign I know that this person is distressed, please stop. Or it might be a hand on the knee, are you enjoying this? Those kind of things are really, really slow. Like it's very, very careful. In fact, there hasn't been a record. They do a report each year about, you know, stats that come out from their sex work and you can read them on their website and there haven't been any reports of, you know, accidental non-consensual assault um, or something like that. So anyone that acts as a surface, there is a way to gain some level of consent. It may not be verbal, it may not be written, but it's at least obvious enough to those that are trained and professional. Yeah, I, I don't have anything against it at all. Mm. Uh, I mm. can see why some people might be uncomfortable. What I, not that I'm uncomfortable, I just think it opens a really complicated can of worms there because yeah where do you then draw that line as to sex being a uh again whether it's a legal right but if it's sort of a, a basic pleasure that we should strive to allow all humans to enjoy i mean this is so left to field here but why not then because there's such a lack, there's there's clearly so many issues that occur among adolescents and uh, the way that they're engaging sexually because they're just sort of navigating that territory for themselves. Well, why not actually have adolescents with a professional sex worker to sort of help them understand consent, but also give them some first few experiences? I know that's going to be shocking for a lot of people to hear, but look, if it actually can be shown to work and these are professionals well mm. i made a joke about this a couple of years ago where i said like oh okay the way to decrease school shootings is to actually just have like a public sex worker um yeah except but i mean yeah. it would i think it actually would work because yeah uh, th there's just such a there is a disparity in in uh the ability to have sex because some people are able to have as much sex as they want and some people really try and they and they can't whether that's because mm -hmm. maybe they're socially awkward or maybe they do have some sort of some issues uh without it being a disability maybe they just lack the ability to pick up on certain social cues maybe they're just unfortunately ugly I mean, I, I don't mean to be crude here, but look, there's just clearly a very unequal access to to sex itself. Um, so yeah. if we open up that can of worms saying, you know, sex is a pleasure that uh, it's a basic fundamental human desire. It's something that hopefully all humans in a given society should be able to enjoy and we should try and you know, collectively facilitate that and allow that to happen. It just, it, it, there's so many avenues that we could then go down. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, obviously it's illegal for um, sex, work sex workers to have sex with a minor. And then if you made a, an exception for underage sex for sex workers, it would just be too complicated because what's, you know, a 50-year-old man to then go and have sex with a 15-year-old girl or something or yeah. vice versa and then say, well, technically I have a certification saying I'm a sex worker. It's too um, sure. messy in that aspect. But also thinking about the the fact that teenage brains, even at 18, aren't developed enough to be able to make appropriate decisions and that, you know, they are more inclined to make risk-taking decisions and things like that and in that sense it's probably good to have an adult saying no this you, sh you shouldn't do this whatever but also how much would they grapple with regret if they had sex with a sex worker at you know 16 or 17 and then thought later on well shit i should not have done that and that decision you know an adult should have been the one that stopped me from doing that as it is now um sure. i mean that's also and very cultural finally just go on yeah yeah exactly yeah and and lastly like i guess the importance of I think it's really, really important for young men to have 
I don't want to say have access to females, but be in, in circles around females to learn social cues, learn consent, learn what's appropriate and not appropriate. Because I find, you know, that private school or all, all boys schools and then, you know, they, they don't have any access to girls until, you know, twice a year in school dances or once a year. And then all of a sudden you're 18, you're desperate for sex and you, you're doing whatever you can to get it rather than you know, learning throughout time by having female friends and stuff like that, I think is really, really beneficial. Mm. So there's a lot of things there. That stereotype is funny because I don't, I, yeah, I know where that stereotype comes from. There's this sort of entitled private school boy who uh, just, I want you, I want, I'm going to fuck her no matter what, that kind of thing. Having said that, mm. I know plenty of guys who aren't, you know, white private school boys who are doing anything they can to try and get it. I mean, any, uh, a lot of guys who are 16 to, well, there's no age limit really, are doing anything they mm. can to try and get it. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's, yeah, exactly. there's a compulsion there. That's very Nature. biological. It's, yeah. na it's natural. That yeah. compul the feeling and the compulsion is natural, what you actually do with it. Uh, that's yeah. where the ethics come into it. Um, yeah. And I'm sure being around females and sort of having female friends would sort of help in, in just being able to converse and, and uh, understand social cues better. But I don't think that's, you know, there's, I went to a co-ed school and funnily enough, a lot of the friend groups actually started off as co-ed in seven and eight and and then actually gravitated more towards yeah uh single sex groups boys and yeah group, the yeah. boys that was literally the name of our friend group to this day i know cringe uh uh not really it's pretty good uh and you know what was also interesting the ethnicities gravitated towards each other in friend groups so there was then an yeah. Asian group. It was all mixed in year seven wow. and eight. And then by year 11, this could just be my school, but in year 11 and 12, there was, a, there was the Asians. And yeah. then the boys usually hung out, the Asian boys usually hung out together. Asian girls usually hung out together. There was the boy popular group, the, the, the female uh, popular group. And then there were sort of little subgroups within those. And then there was like the sort of mid-tier mid popularity group. That one was actually kind of mixed. And then there mm. was, I guess, the nerd group, which uh, even in a in a selective school, they were the they were VFLs, virgins for life. And Aww. I, I, yeah, but look, I actually came up with that in year seven or eight, and it stuck. <laughs> and that almost wow. all of them lost their virginity before me. So look, it's it's <laughs> irony okay. there for sure. That's that's what I get that's for coming good. up with that nickname. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, but. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, single sex schools do seem like a sort of institution of a bygone era. Having said that, I I, I don't know. There might be some benefit to it. There's there's actually oh, there's lots. There's there's no like you know statistically there's no better way to put your child yeah. versus. There's pros and cons to both. Mm. So it, with my own children, I wouldn't really care. It would just be based on the school on what's better or, or what's not but I, I i i guess my point is that is you know not necessarily that if you're at a co-ed school you're more likely to gain consent or whatever but you're more likely i guess if you have more you know social groups that involve girls which you may not be able to if you're at an all-boys school sure. sometimes you do sometimes you don't then you're more likely to have access to more sexual circumstances or experiences as a teenager and sometimes that's I think that's good like I think it's really good when <laughs> this sounds so gross actually when I was saying I think it's really good but you know when you're like 14 and it's a really big deal when you, you're hooking up and you hook up for like the first month and then the second month you finger someone and that's a really big deal like rather than being straight off the bat 18 being like I need to have sex and I think it's much better to progress throughout your teens with little steps oh. towards that. Um, even if it's with the same person over the period of month, but learning what's okay, what's not okay, when does someone saying no, when is someone saying yes, and learning those things rather than going straight to, you know, a home home run. I and, couldn't agree yeah. more. Someone who did have that 
home run drunken experience was my first time when I was 18. The thing is, I went to a co-ed school. Again, it's not, you don't mm. just, you can't just walk up to a girl and be like, hey, so I want to just like, you know, learn things with you. Can you suck yeah, my dick? like that's not how it works. <laughs> I wish. But uh, there's a lot of guys who uh, just aren't, and I'm sure girls as well, who want to do all that. Like, that's all you want to do yeah. when you're 13 and 14 is hook up and yeah. do all those things that you just said. And what happens is a huge amount of low self-esteem, resentment, anger-ish, all sorts, so many problems that men face actually can sort of be drawn back to like where their status was in high school. Uh, mm. And yeah, maybe they weren't, they desperately wanted to have sex and they, you know, wasn't through a uh, um, lack of trying. Uh, mm. But it it wasn't happening, and then and and now there's just such a pr there's so much pressure. I wonder what it was like, you know, in a more religious time. If if you know a fourteen fifteen year old boy felt pressure to lose their virginity, or it was like, oh no, I'm I'll just wait till I'm married. I'm not sure what it would have been like mm. because now, yeah, I wonder. You know, for our if there are teenage listeners, let us know what it's like because for me. I'm sure it's even more now. Yeah, there was a huge amount of insecurity associated with the fact that I was like pretty late to lose my virginity among my um, friend group. And I felt so yeah. insecure about it. It was just like I, yeah. it was all I could think about. And it's not helpful for, for you when you're, you know, when you're going through this sometimes a five-year period and you can't mm. focus on your passions. You can't, you know, you can't give yourself to, to, what you might actually be really good at doing uh, because you're just desperate to do this sort of rite of passage that everyone else seems to have done. And you just, you then yeah. do start to hate the world. You think, well, why the hell am I not able to get this basic human pleasure that everyone else seems to be getting like it's nothing. And then you do kind of adopt a bit of that incel mentality of like, well, look at the guys that are getting it. It's these dropouts that are just, smoking all day and mm -hmm. why is it that i you know i'm trying everything i possibly can and it's just it's hell so it's it's you know it's i agree i agree that the best possible situation is if you know two 14 15 year olds can have a trust trusting relationship and gradually um build up to sex that's the best situation hands down. there's no shame associated it's done safely you know, they learn through mm. each other. But the problem with that is it doesn't, it, it's not accessible to everyone. And just because you go to a co-ed school, it's probably more accessible, but um, there's, there's plenty of... Doesn't necessarily Exactly. Happen. There's yeah. plenty of people in co-ed schools that really want to do that and uh, mm. can't or that, you know, that it, mm. it just won't, it won't happen. And... Again, it comes... You almost need to make like a, a Tinder for teenagers or something equivalent so you can determine who's interested romantically, who wants casual, who's looking for a relationship. Well, they do. You can, if you're under 18, you can go on an... Un <laughs> there's an under 18 Tinder. Is there really? I think so, yeah. What? I'm pr maybe they got rid of Surely. it, but like ages ago there was. What? I think. I got a back check. Who's there and maybe under... Not. <laughs> this like surely there's something equivalent um tinder for teens yubo is a free location-based app for finding oh. swiping chatting and video streaming was, hmm. you can't be on tinder if you're under 18 legally oh where did i get that from oh there's an app called spot a friend <laughs> that mimics tinder for 13 to 19 year olds Jesus. Anyway. Wouldn't, you wouldn't want to if you it makes sense actually why would tinder be like you know open it up to it's just so many people who could just fake their age too problematic too much yeah. potential for predatory behavior there oh, i don't know yeah. where i thought that yeah. um there's a lot of people and it's kind of i remember being like 19 on tinder there was so many seeing he's a 17 yes, year old girls. and they'd be like actually yeah. 17 and you know actually 16 or whatever and yeah. I guess I was 19, so like 19, 17. I don't know. It, yeah, technically illegal, but like 
it, it, people yeah. are going to care that yeah. much. But um, yeah. you get to a certain age and you're like, oh, get off. Don't You shouldn't be on here. <laughs> Please stop. Um, one of the funny things, actually just jumping back to wondering about if, you know, back in more religious cultures, how that would impact teenage views on sex and sexuality and things like that. I saw a video the other day um, on TikTok. It was like a stitch and these 20-year-old guys were, there was like five of them, like quite good looking or whatever. And they made a video being that had hundreds of thousands of likes saying like, why can't I find a girl that's just like a good Christian girl? Everyone here just is like a hoe or puts up thirst traps. And then this girl stitched their video and went through all five out of five guys in this video and all of them, their Instagrams were them topless, flexing, like gym self, like thirst traps. And then went through their followers and it was all like, all the followers was like 10 guys and then 90% porn actresses and, you know, slutty women. And I just thought the irony of that was so funny. Sure. But then again, it's like that relate what relationship versus lust and relationship versus sex. You often don't want different things. Anyway, teenagers is complicated, mm. but that's a different... We're digressing. No, no, that's no. That's a different... That, um, that is very hypocritical uh, when... Yeah. Uh, well, the idea is that, you know, for a man to, it's not a impediment on his sort of romantic value if he sleeps around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I don't, I can't imagine in a very religious society, there will be a lot of guys posting thirst traps and being fuckboys. I'm sure, look, there are always, those sorts of behaviours always did exist, Um it's complicated. Yeah. It's not. There's no easy solution to issues like sex and and relationships because, again, you got you, you got to be careful with perceiving things as rights, especially if it sort of compels someone else to have to fulfill that mm-hmm. right. Um, mm. Well, speaking of, um, I guess, ethical sexual circumstances mm. in relation to disabled people. One of the things that I grapple with, and I've experienced this quite a few times in my work with young people and also adults, is the ethics behind non-disabled people having sex with intellectually disabled people and Mm. whether or not that is, you know, a, a dominance thing, a power play, an easier access to sex, um, and also taking into consideration that people with disability the highest group of people that are sexually assaulted um in almost every country so that is something that is a very very gray area because i almost find the sex work is like yeah there's a little bit of some gray areas but really i can't fault it but this i you know there are circumstances where i'm like you know it's it's really tough if someone is consent they're both consenting but one has a severe intellectual disability and the other is an able-bodied, perfectly fine, you know, male or woman. Um, it does make you wonder sometimes, you know, what what is the actual thought process behind this if it's not love, if it's, if it's just for sex? I don't know. I don't think... Sometimes it won't sit fully comfortably with a lot of people. Um yeah. But then again, it, you, can you say that, well, just because someone has an intellectual disability that is, you know, significant, I'm talking about significant, not mild, mm. can they, can we just deny them of sex if they're saying yes for it? Well, no, we can't. And that's, that's their right. And it's the same as well for, for, you know, people, disabled people and having babies. We, by law, cannot um, deny a disabled person the right to have a child or a family. Um, and in fact, pretty much, I would say three quarters of, or at least half of the, you know, children that I've worked with that have been removed from their parents, it was due to them having intellectual disabilities and just not having really good intention, but not understanding or knowing anything about raising a child and not being able to be worked with to support that child. See, now that's where I might just immediately, my, my, uh, 
what's most likely an emotional reaction is society yeah. should have to draw a line there and say no if there's a very high likelihood that the children will be disabled i don't see how that's the likelihood of the, ch- the child themselves being disabled is actually relatively oh, well, then low in that case, across then, multi- then they sh- then they It's can. just about oh, how they can, can be, they be raised. Yeah, that's a fair yeah. point. No. Yeah. No, I think there should have to there has to be some sort of means test there that just seems very selfish. But then again, yeah, it's it, it, everyone a lot of people who have kids it's they're doing it for selfish reasons, I suppose, so Yeah. It's like know. that movie I am Sam. Which I haven't actually watched, but I know it's about, you know, an intellectually disabled father and his daughter and the struggles of that, with that Tom Hanks movie, I think. Yeah, no, it? I haven't Probably seen that. Really sad. Look, there is yeah. a very human side to it, um, but... Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah, it's... calling you know, it's, eugenics there, but... Mm. Uh, that's a, it's really hard yeah. because even if you have support services in every day... Is that going to be enough to have the child grow up in an environment where they will then have equal opportunity to succeed in life and access education themselves? And what happens when, you know, they can't get support from their parents because that parent may not be able to communicate verbally Mm. or read or things like that. Although it is really amazing on the other side that in Australia, for families that are in these circumstances, we do absolutely provide those services essentially free of charge to do whatever we can to keep the child with their parents um and 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 ensure that that child is supported throughout their entire up until the age of well i guess maybe government stops caring about kids i shouldn't say that but isn't as concerned about kids once they're 15 um so let's say zero to 15 Mm. which is still pretty significant um, and the kids that get removed, it's only in really like severe circumstances. I remember we removed um, a one-year-old and a three-year-old boy from um, parents that had was the same age as me and were really lovely, but they both had you know intellectual disabilities. And the three-year-old, actually, she was four. She was like eight kilos, so you know she should have been double that um she was the same amount of weight as the one-year-old and she'd never learned to walk because she had been kept in a cot for four years basically um and then the one-year-old was and also this girl you know being only eight kilos was so severely underweight because she wasn't being fed except for an up and go one up and go a day and the one-year-old was yes so overly fed that you know they were like well you got to feed your baby you got to feed your baby they force fed him so he was morbidly obese and then had um disabilities from that and and that you know unfortunately those children can't actually overcome that were born completely fine no. without any disabilities now have permanent brain and physical disabilities for the rest of their yeah, lives see, that's where it, it's funny yeah. how people might find it uncomfortable with the sex work thing I, I don't find that uncomfortable that makes me really uncomfortable i think there's there's a bound to mm. the com- to, to how much compassion we can have and sure yeah. we shouldn't have too much of a stigma towards any marginalized group um including disabled people but they're also yeah there's a reality and that reality is if they are like seriously intellectually disabled they shouldn't be parents yeah there are some kind of laws about i did read up saying is there actually anything you can put in place by like legally to ensure that children can't be had if it was going to be a situation like that where they absolutely have the zero capacity to learn to be able to care or or engage in services and i did read that there can in australia there can be a a court or tribunal process to with a whole bunch of you know uh, professional supports and lifelong histories or uh, you know historical evidence to make a decision on whether they can um lawfully prevent someone from having a child like a vasectomy or hysterectomy for example but the chances that it's so uncommon that it's very much unlikely and that the the government perceives that any person in australia 
that is able to consent or even anyone that has a baby has the right to have a baby basically anyone that can have a baby has the right, right to have that baby um, and that we cannot prevent someone because of a phys- physical or intellectual or whatever because then it comes down to okay well if an intellectual person you know that yes that person and baby would have significant dis- disadvantages but what about a baby with you know a blind parent who is completely zero intellectual disabilities just can't see or a deaf parent they'll have a whole different set of barriers or what if it's a single mom and they have or a single parent and then they have a different set of barriers or you know and and if you're brought up black in a highly racist community then there's a different set of barriers so then it kind of becomes this whole give everyone the same equal access and same right or it's just going to turn into a shit fight really sure there's a there's a fair point there Mm. where's the line drawn um, mm. maybe you shouldn't be preventing them having children, but then whether the child is taken away, I think there probably needs to be more leniency there. But yeah. as you say, it's very hard to actually take children away yeah. from, from parents in it Australia. Is r- and look, yeah, yeah. I, I, it, that is actually a complicated one, but it, it, that makes me very uncomfortable hearing that story about the yeah. kids who had the uh, intellectually disabled mother who and now uh, have brain yeah. damage because she didn't but know how to the, the thing is though when you even though if you, when when i first met the kids before meeting the parents i felt a level of anger i had literally never felt because it was very early in my days working with um families and then when i met the parents i was just really sad and very compassionate towards them because they they just had no idea and they were really nice people and were genuinely shocked and we were trying to explain what's happened and they they could not grasp the concept of it but thankfully in australia you know we have so much prenatal support that happens during your pregnancy we have like an eight-week check 15 week check 20 weeks you know constantly with all these appointments that typically this would be flagged before the baby's even born and then there will be services there well before birth has even been given so that's what it's like in most circumstances but if that person doesn't know they're pregnant or doesn't access those prenatal services it can't be flagged Mm. and then it's up to the hospital staff who you know might you might see for five hours while you're giving birth to determine does this person have an intellectual disability because they don't look like they're disabled like these people look like me you know Mm. um you and i so it's um if they have the access to service i have you know a lot of faith that the supports that can be put in place although it's not the best circumstance it can be enough to support just enough to support a child throughout their childhood but that's sure. oh, that's for severe, you know. I think that many people we know and many of our friends and, you know, people have intellectual disabilities that are mild and does not at all, you know, de- yeah. determine whether or not they can raise children. In fact, most everyone here that listens to this will know a few people that may not even know themselves that they have mild intellectual disabilities. I'm talking about really severe Yeah, of course. Ones. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's something I really know a lot about. I'm just, yeah. Uh, something to think about though uh yeah okay coming back to sex work Mm. well i guess what else is there to explore about that um well what what i think sorry go on i think that one of something to explore not necessarily to do about sex work but flipping the roles is about disability and disabled people being viewed as sexual beings is something that's really important. And there's um, a girl I follow on Instagram and TikTok, and I highly recommend anyone goes and looks at her because I think that what she's doing is really great work. And she is a disabled person. She's in a wheelchair. She has um, a muscular disability where her basically she's lost her muscle mass she doesn't have much um movement in you know neck down um and she's i'm I'm assuming she's been in a wheelchair most of her life she's also 26 
and her like Instagram and, and TikTok handle is wheelchair underscore Rapunzel. But she's very, very much se- like openly saying on her platforms, I'm a very sexual person. I'm bisexual. I want to, you know, fuck guys. I want to fuck girls, like those kind of things. And then it's really it's shocking to see how people react to someone saying that because she's disabled. Um, she has no intellectual disability whatsoever. Her body just looks a little bit different and she's in a wheelchair and people are outraged at her saying, I like to have sex. And then they're like, it's wrong that someone that isn't disabled would have sex with you. And she's like, well, why? <laughs> That's funny because uh, almost all the disabled comedians I've seen live have very sexual material. They're always yeah. talking about it. It's like, <laughs> if yeah. in a weird way, if... if, if some of the jokes I've heard, I thought, well, if someone who wasn't disabled was saying that, they may not be able to get away with it. It was like really <laughs> brutal sexual jokes that I found hilarious. But um, yeah. And then also making fun of other people in the disabled community. Like, one, <laughs> I'll never forget this, this guy. I don't know what he had. Um, I don't know if it's sort of muscular dystrophy or... I don't want to be too crude here, but the one where, you know, it's, you're not, uh, I don't want to impersonate it or whatever, but, you know, the, the <laughs> like, it looks, yeah, they, they can't, their muscles don't move in a normal yes, way. Yeah. yeah. And also the speech is clearly, there's an impediment there. And then, and yeah. then he's saying, his joke was, um, everyone thinks I'm retarded, but so he goes to stores and acts like he's retarded to try and get free things, but he's actually not oh retarded. And it was like, I wouldn't That's have normally so laughed funny. at that, but I'm like, well, fuck me. Like, this is hilarious. Oh um, my God. That makes it, I have to find this guy then, who does that as, as well. And it is the funniest thing ever. And people are always like, oh my God, he's the same word. He yeah. does exactly the same thing. This is like, uses it to his... Um, he's like, well, society's fucked me over already this much. I may as well use milk what I can from it. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then the, it's good. There yeah. was one other one. There's a guy from Brisbane, actually. I think he's in a. I think he was just in a wheelchair. I'm not sure what the disability was, but also he just like the extent to how like sexual it was, and you know, I was fucking this person and this, 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 this and just like it was so. Um, I guess, yeah, you, you know, why do we have this? Because, look, I suppose what you usually associate is, you know, a lot of people have a lot of pity and they don't want that. They don't want to be seen as That's these, like, it. pathetic yeah. And I love, oh, no one respects that more than me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. then they, when you, when you hear them speak like that, it, it, because you just sort of expect, you know, the, the normal reaction is to, make, oh, like that kind of pity thing, which is probably very demeaning yes. to them. Exactly. Uh, so then they come out with these like overtly sexual or like very aggressive uh, comedy and or just general speech, and it can be off-putting. Um, but yeah, I think that's great. Um, yeah, it's good, and it's a that's a really good point. I think about about this this pity, and you know, obviously, you and I can only speak so much on this community without being part of it ourselves. Um, but you know, I worked um, for two years in in disability respite, so with you know teenagers that um, their carers or parents would drop them off somewhere for a weekend, so that they could have some respite, and then I would just look after these kids. Um, and really, what I heard consistently, and I still hear from any you know disability forum or community, is is that your pity, like don't don't say i'm a i'm so brave don't say i'm you know in inspiring because i'm living my life in a wheelchair like it's actually offensive and the, i saw a video of this actually the other day where a girl in a wheelchair was saying that very thing saying stop like praising me just because i live my life like you do but i sit in a wheelchair um and there's there's something if you want to like look more into this it's called um the social model of disability and essentially the concept of that is that we need to stop you know changing disabled people or or you know providing all these things for disabled people to fit into society we need to be changing society to support 
disabled people so they don't they're not segregated it's not different it's not like and a, and a huge part of that is just our views and like that pity is is really offensive you think it's compassionate like oh you're brave for raising a child with down syndrome but really what you're saying is your child is lesser so or that person or you as a disabled person is lesser therefore you're brave like it's it's one oh. of those backhanded, significantly offensive comments to make. So be cautious of that. Well, no one is more of an advocate against pity than I am. I mean, yeah, true. Like, good. <laughs> you that, just punch them in the face. Good on them. Like they should be. I would yeah. treat them the same as anyone else. Yeah. You know? And I think, yeah. you know what? A few other communities could use a bit of that mentality. In fact, most mm. uh, able-bodied people could probably use that mentality. <laughs> you yeah. know, because there's a lot of pity that uh, people are yearning for um, being whatever they are, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm brown, therefore, like, my life is hard. I'm a woman, therefore, my life is hard. And it's like, well, yeah. no, you know, no one, like, I'm not going to give people pity. Um, compassion is different to pity. That's, that's an interesting podcast, maybe one day, the difference between compassion and pity. But, yeah, um, yeah you know, if, my dad, uh, there's a, there a girl I did a comedy set with who has uh, one arm and then my dad went up to her afterwards and asked her, and, and he, look, he was being innocent, he didn't mean anything by it, but he was like, oh, how long have you had one arm? And, and she said, oh, since I was born. And he went, oh, and then, and then like her whole next set. <laughs> was just like, fuck this guy. <laughs> like, I hate this person. <laughs> about so me. Good. Like, oh, dad. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Bless him. Oh, um, that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's also, I guess now broadly speaking about, uh, well, com- compassion and, and, sort of allowing people to exist within society without having to sort of alter society, sorry, altering society to allow people to feel included. I, I, I do feel like there is also a limit to something like that. I mean, we're not, I'm not just hmm. talking about disabled people here. The immediate community that comes to mind is what's well, very prevalent right now, but say the trans community, right? So uh, when it comes to sport, um, do we uh, permit trans women to compete against cis women uh, in sport. And, mm. you know, the compassionate thing would be to say, oh, yeah, because, you know, you're no different to any other woman. But the reality mm. is that, well, look, if they've gone through puberty as a male, they've got a different mm. bone structure. Um, there's certain likely physical advantages. And mm. no, okay, look, we, we, we're happy to use you know, the, pr- the preferred pronouns and sort of see you as a, you would like to be seen, but there's clearly a limit to that, in my opinion. Um, and I think in a lot of people's Many opinion. Many people. Um, yeah. And yeah. I suppose similarly with something like uh, I when you were talking about the woman in a wheelchair who wants to be seen as a sexual being, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Like, why wouldn't she be a sexual being? Uh, when yeah. the conversation goes to things like, um, you know, beauty standards, and again, this isn't just talking about disabled, the disabled community mm. here, but uh, all right, why why isn't this group of people seen as sexy, or why why aren't these group of people seen as attractive? Again, then you're actually asking for a certain amount of compassion that may actually go beyond a certain limit of reality i see what you mean yeah well actually interestingly with with this person in particular she is like i guess you would say like your standard um somewhat meets the beauty standards aside from being a person of disability in in a wheelchair which unfortunately at this time you know day and time isn't the beauty standard um but you know she's got the the blonde hair the tan body and blue eyes um so by many means she does you know she does reach those and she gets late she she does she says it all the time she's like yeah i met i make guys off tinder and they have to carry me they have to do this and i you know whatever but like why is everyone so uncomfortable with that like why is everyone so angry when i about that it's 
which is she raises a really good well, point. Well, that's where I think I agree with her and, and that ethos of you know why this pity party doesn't actually yeah. help the the humanity of of a group of people because then suddenly they they actually come out with these strong opinions or they go against the grain and suddenly people get really defensive and 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 aggressive towards them because oh no you yeah. you have to sit in this little box that I've uh. Yeah. mentally made for you that fulfills my yeah. identity of being a compassionate caring person and it's not the same obviously but the whole people of color thing there's similarities mm. there where there's just this constant pity party for everyone who isn't white and then someone who isn't white mm. has an opinion that not you know left wing or just isn't the norm and suddenly oh fuck you like you're not allowed to think that way well hang on a minute like i'm a you know uh a human being like anyone else i can form my own opinions i can do what i want to do uh again mm. yeah of course it's not the same but the pity is the same mm. um yeah exactly just society come wants to be able to perceive people and in a way that they feel most comfortable with and unfortunately i think it's really wrong that society is most comfortable with thinking that you know typically disabled people aren't sexual beings um, and that's how they would like to look at a disabled person and think that because the thought of them being you know having sex or masturbating makes them uncomfortable and, and then it goes even deeper to, to this is that why do we get uncomfortable with things just because that doesn't arouse us do you know what i mean it's the same with like gay people often like they're really it's a kind of you know it's not a huge factor and it. it's just one of those minor considerations to take or, or, or think about is that are people uncomfortable with it because that's not their sexual preference do you think that's what <laughs> so it is they think, or do you think it's just a, i think i don't think that's what it yeah. is i don't think anyone that actually thinks uh, is it anti this or thinks that would have make that connection but i think that that is an underlying subconscious thing that people may not think about um and that it can be a factor well yeah. i mean this is a recurring theme throughout the podcast but i think society particularly western society is going through this huge chaotic reckoning of how we actually view sex mm. and we've seen sex a certain way for a long time throughout the the history of western society and it's changed quite drastically over a relatively short period of yeah. time and we're working out what we actually need to do about that because i don't think we can have this sort of fanciful idea of okay look everyone should be having sex and and you know it can we can have this perfectly sex positive world because it's also messy and it's also unequal mm. uh in terms of the access mm. and some people aren't as sexually attractive as other people and you know it tends towards a, a smaller proportion of people having a lot of casual sex when we live in a sort of culturally deregulated hookup culture and what do you do with that so these are the these are like the cultural questions of the 2020s i think because they're just so or maybe it's again maybe that's just like a sydney thing for someone in their 20s but um i i, I just can't help it feel uh you can't you can't have everything you know you can't sort of say we live in an over sexualized world but then all these other communities that aren't usually sexualized should be sexualized mm. and uh it's just it seems like a lot to ask for me and and in, in a, i hope yeah. we can get to a point where everyone feels comfortable with the amount of sexualization they they feel and the amount of sex they're having and i just don't think that's gonna happen i can't i can't really see that happening and there's you know when when you do define sex as a right even if it is just for a certain community there's then to, to some degree an obligation on on sex and, and it sounds like these sort of these sex workers are very willing and sort of open to doing something like that but then if you expand that right uh which seems like a logical step if you say you know sex is something that's that every human being should should enjoy and there's mm. a degree of collective responsibility whether it's the the state or the community to help provide that well the logical step after that is like all right people who are socially awkward or people who are um injured yeah uh, people who yeah are just virgins i mean do they get a you know a a, a sex worker um elderly like you said um okay how old mm. are we talking and then and then 
if it is people in <laughs> yeah. their 70s well why not people in their 50s you know like what where is yeah. the line here that's a good point and yeah and not everyone can have equal access to everything and i feel like this is the summary of all of our podcasts <laughs> yeah you just can't win let's just we should just rename it as you can't, can't win because anytime we bring up an issue we're like mm, actually no there's no right way but i think it is actually worth saying because a lot of people don't actually know this is that sex workers also need to and do consent to sex and they say no to a lot of clients people they're not comfortable with you know people have heard things about they often say yeah. no. um so sex workers will frequently say no to for example disability clients um when they don't feel uh, i don't know enough or i'm not well equipped enough to do this safely so they'll they'll say no so it is worth saying just because you go to a sex worker you know they might <laughs> you might not get the one you want really <laughs> so keep that in mind yeah and they can be half therapists as well a lot of yeah. uh, men who are lonely rich businessmen and people who are very mm -hmm. highly intelligent but also socially awkward will just go to a sex worker and actually just talk to them and yeah. sort of comfort them and give them that yeah, the, the girlfriend experience, not just about getting in there and getting your rocks off. Uh, mm. And by all accounts, they're also just sex workers will have some clients that are more enjoyable for them and some other clients that definitely feel like work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you watch literally any documentary on sex workers and it's so funny. I love it when they're like, Todd's coming back and I know he's going to make me piss on him again. Like, and then, yeah. then he comes in like, oh, Todd, baby, I've been waiting for you all week. Like, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of, well, I don't know about the pissing thing, but a lot of wives as well. <laughs> yes. Ugh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Except that they don't, the wives don't feign the enthusiasm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they, they just maintain it fucking passive aggressiveness the whole way through just kidding it's <laughs> oh, only sometimes yep no i don't know pretty common <laughs> but <laughs> if you talk to men in their 50s then again yeah, they're sorry. usually like fat and have let themselves go and don't really care about their appearance at all so goes both ways yeah. attraction goes both ways just because you provide that that whole idea of the man having to be the provider is gonna go because now it's already make, gone. Yeah, it's already gone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, uh, the only thing that's going to dictate it is actually female preferences. If they prefer a man who earns as much as yeah. they do or more, well, that's what's going to yeah. still compel men to be like the quote, quote unquote provider uh, or the, the breadwinner or work very hard to just, just for the sake of money. Mm. But um, I wonder if female preferences will transform over the coming decades to, to look About for time. other features and I wonder if maybe it will be more looks based um, and men will have to you know rather than trying to make six figures there'll be more focus on like having a six pack and looking good for the for the to get a wife that earns $250,000 a year that'll be <laughs> the day where the gender roles then have not fully flipped but uh, uh, one aspect yeah. of them has flipped. Um, uh, that'll be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, any 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 concluding comments? What was the Instagram of the person you were talking about? Um, it's wheelchair underscore Rapunzel, and that obviously is just one of hundreds of thousands of people that advocate for you know. I don't even think she's like an influencer. I don't. Even, I don't know if she's actually like big. I just happened to come across her on TikTok and followed her, and I, I loved what she talked about. And I was like, yes, and mm. talks about a bit on Instagram as well. So I think it's it's good, and you, you you know you can find many people, and also look at the resource touching base. Look it up. Um, watch their doco as well. It's super interesting. It actually shows their clients. Um, so the people that are accessing the sex work, and it shows the sex workers and things like that. So. It's really fascinating. It's not a boring documentary. It's really good. Mm. Any final comments from I, you? Uh, well, I thought of one other thing there, but I guess, no, I've sort of covered my points about this. I guess my main concern with something like that, okay, I, I like, I think, especially if they're 
are seriously intellectually or physically disabled, I think mm. it's good that, you know, even if it's taxpayer funded that they're able to have sex. Mm. It's just the can of worms that it does open. And I wonder, you know, if it's, again, like what, in 20 years, is it the guy who just can't get laid? Are they then, you know, being subsidised to visit a yeah. sex worker? Uh, having said that, I suppose if it's a disabled person who, who uh, can't earn money, then that's where you can say, well, okay, you can't actually pay for the sex worker here whereas like yeah, a guy and who also, you know, just can't get yeah. laid can probably pay for it so he will have access to yeah like you said employment and 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 the whole point of an ndis plan isn't to get laid it's usually to cover the costs of mm. support workers 35 dollars an hour and sometimes you need them for 100 hours a week sure. so no one can afford that and equipment and wheelchairs. So it's just one of those things that they can kind of sometimes slip into a plan being like, okay, and what are your social needs? So like for the kids I work with, they include um, community-based activities like $1,500 a year, for example. And then for adults, maybe you can do this. Mm. <laughs> That's community-based, I guess. So sure. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hope you learned something new. Definitely, definitely. Um, thank you guys for watching and or listening. Please subscribe. Please share. Actually, forget the please. That's too needy. Subscribe and share if you want to. But like, I don't care. <laughs> Ooh, fuck, I'm a Sigma male. <laughs> <laughs> well, please go out with me. Or if you want to go out with me, I want to go out with you. You know, that's the, that's the way you say it. I don't know. That was probably very cringy. Alrighty. Let's, let's end it before I dig a hole too deep for myself. Thanks yes. for listening. See you next See you week. Next week. <laughs>